0: Hello everyone and welcome to Raw and Uncut Podcast. My name is Mackenzie kermit Statum and I will be your host today. So this week y'all... I'm going to talk about this article I read about uh, college athletes and paying them. But we're going to start this week off by talking about a discussion I've heard a lot that people are having about the Warriors versus the Bulls and who's better. Now, as y'all have probably know, the Warriors broke the Bulls all-time regular season record winning 73 gra- 73 games. Incredible accomplishment and In the first two games of the playoffs, they've looked like juggernauts. And even in the second game, not having Steph Curry and still beating uh, the Rockets pretty handily. But this is going to be a talk about my personal opinion on if the Bulls were to play the Warriors today, what the hell would happen? Now, this generation, my generation, because I'm only 25 and younger, think that the Warriors are the greatest thing ever. They think Steph Curry is the most unguardable person and they're partly correct. I mean, Seth Curry is damn near impossible to guard, and this team is ju- is a juggernaut. But they're not, in my opinion, the best team I've ever seen. I didn't get a chance to really watch, or let me phrase, I didn't get a chance to really remember since I was so young, the Bulls at 172. But the best team, in my opinion, was the year that Shaq and Kobe beat um, the Sixers in the finals they lost only one game in the whole finals or in the whole playoffs and that was when Allen Iverson went completely crazy But that's going off the discussion But if the Bulls were to play the Warriors, I think that the Bulls would win in five possibly even four Now if you look at the teams, they are built pretty much the same except for the Warriors shoot a lot more threes They're the more the 2016 Bulls the lineups go um Curry, Klay Thompson, Barnes, Draymond and Bogut as a starting five the Bulls was Ron Harper Scotty Jordan um, Dennis Rodman and Luke Longley Now everybody knows that Luke Longley would come out pretty much right away and Tony Kukoc will go in and Dennis Rodman would slide to the five and then For the Warriors, we know that Iguodala comes in and then they slide Draymond to the five and they go small ball So both teams best lineup is small ball now you match up the superstars and the Robins as we like to call them the Batman and the Robins The Batmans on both teams is Jordan or Steph Curry. Now, if you're going to sit here and try to tell me that Steph Curry is better than Michael Jordan, we just got to fight. I'm not even a Jordan fan, and I know that Jordan's better than Curry. This is Curry's best year. 50-40-90. Scored over 30 points. Hit 403-pointers. I mean, incredible year. One of the best years I've ever seen. But Jordan, let's not forget. In one season, scored 37 points. Another season, scored 35 33, 32, 32, 31, 30, 30, 29.6, and 28.7. So basically he had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He almost had 10 seasons averaging 30 or more points. Curry has one. And this is in a league back in the day with Jordan where you could hand check, push them to where you want, and make them, basically the defense had an advantage over the offense. And he still was putting up an astronomical amount of points. And Curry's only getting 30 per game. Yes, you can say that he sits more minutes per game because they're blowing people out and all that other stuff, but I'm not really trying to hear that. Then you look at the Robins. Klay Thompson versus Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen took a team where the year after Jordan retired, almost went to the finals, probably should have went to the finals if it wasn't for the referees, and almost made people forget about Jordan because that's how well he was playing. Klay Thompson, great shooter, great defender but I can tell you right now if he was the only person on the team and was the go-to guy, Klay Thompson would not lead a team to be great. They would be subpar at best and he would just shoot a bunch of shots cuz we've seen how he plays when Steph Curry is in there. He's still a very good scorer or shooter, still a good defender, but doesn't get nearly the same shots and doesn't shoot nearly the same percentage. Then if you look then you look at the grind players. You go Draymond versus Dennis Rodman. Draymond's a way better scorer than Dennis Rodman and passes the ball better. But Draymond doesn't come close of the type of rebounder Dennis Rodman is. And being honest, he isn't the type of defender that Dennis Rodman is. I mean, Dennis Rodman caused people from Carl Malone problems. He caused Jordan problems when he was with the Pistons. I mean, Dennis Rodman is basically can guard one through four and truly create havoc. People say Draymond can guard one through four, but Draymond can really guard three, two through four. And he struggles with the twos and threes. He just basically gets a good contest on them. And the fours is his better position to guard. That's why he can do what he can do. So, I mean, you can say that's a wash. If you like offense better, you say Draymond's better. But basically, that's kind of a wash. And then you look at the bench guy, Iguodala versus Coach. Iguodala, good defender, really good role player, knows his role, and, and is accepting not being the lead guy like he was with the Sixers, well, with the Warriors. Coach, very good scorer, could shoot the three, stretch four, and is a bigger body than Iggy. Because he's because Tony Kukoc was like 6'7, 6'8, 6'9, somewhere in that range. And, and it is a true four where well, Iguodala is really a three slash two, and he's playing the three slash four. four. Then you look at Barnes, and you, then you look at Ron Harper. I mean, those are the guys who kind of make impacts on the games, but don't put their finger on the games at all times. I mean, some games they'll hit big shots, make big plays, but then other games they're not even on the court. So I like Barnes more in that aspect than Harper. But it's not like either one are just like truly that much better than each other. So I don't know about y'all's opinion. But my personal opinion, I think if the Warriors were to play the Bulls today, it would be a sweet pot or five games. Just because the rules are so much better in the offensive players' hands today. So if you bring the Bulls to this era, sure they don't shoot nearly as much threes. But without the hand checking all that, they're going to be able to score a lot easier than they were to score in the 90s. And if you take the Warriors to the 90s, they would struggle. Sure, they would still shoot threes, great, but the hand-checking, the being able to force them where you want to go, the being able to get physical with them is just a difference-changer because being a basketball player, you know that the more physical a defender can get for you, the harder you're going to work. So by, you might score 20-some points in the first half, but you're exhausted. By the fourth quarter, You're missing shots you usually make, your short, sh- short shooting, your free throws, and everything's just a little bit tougher. So, It would be an interesting game of 90s ball versus 2016 ball because 90s was go to your best player, let him go to work, and play off him. 2016 Warriors is pass the ball around, let Steph get his, but we're going to run offense, dribble drive, push and kick, all that, pull up on threes on fast break. So it would be an interesting game as far as that aspect, but in my personal opinion, I think the Bulls are sweeping them, if not beating them in five. What do y'all think? So the thing I was looking most forward to talking about was this article I read a few weeks ago called Four Years a Student-Athlete, The Racial Injustice of Big Time College Sports by Patrick Ruby. Um, it's an article basically where it shows that the system of NCAA and how it's set up is basically holding back predominantly black children or athletes because those are the ones who are affected by the most by the rules that the NCAA has against them. Now, if you don't know um, some of the statistics I'm going to throw at you, you're about to learn. 58.3% of college division one basketball athletes are black and 47% of college division one football is black. And that was in 2004 and 2015. Now only 12% of America is black. That's a huge discrepancy between the two. So clearly it shows that When it comes to black, to those athletes that are playing those sports, basketball, and football, they're mostly black, and they're the ones who are affected the most by the rules. Now, I highly recommend you, whether you agree that it is affecting blacks predominantly or not, to read this article, because I do believe it affects blacks the most, and that's just because they are the most who are affected by the financial aspects of it. But I think it affects not only blacks, but it affects um the poor people more than anything because those are the ones who are affected the most by what the NCAA is doing. Now, in the article, it talks about what players would be worth if they had rules that were set up according to how the NBA and NFL set up as far as their um, unions go. The average college football player would be worth $121,000. And the average basketball player would be worth $265,000. The University of Texas football team would make $514,000 a year. And every single Duke basketball player would be worth $1 million a year. Those numbers speak for themselves. The NCAA is making a buku amount of money off these athletes. You have the SEC network, which goes to the SEC. Texas has their own network. All these other schools have their own networks. You have the gear. Oh, yeah. So the athletes who wear gear, they don't get sponsored or paid for wearing it. But the college coaches who wear the Nike or turn the Aquafina label towards you, they get paid for that. But yet the college athletes don't. They have to do every single aspect of the same thing the college coaches are doing but don't get paid. But yet the coaches are making six figures off that, seven figures if they're big-time coaches off that. And yet the athletes can't receive anything. Now I know a lot of people are going to argue and say that college athletes do receive a stipend, which is two to five thousand dollars per semester, and they get to keep for every for football players that go to bowl games and NCAA tournament, they get to keep one thousand three hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of gear, which is you know bowl gear, Xbox One, TVs, whatever they decide to get. That's what they get. According to these statistics, Division One basketball and football only receive about ten percent of the revenue they generate. Now name me one situation where you would be happy. Only getting ten percent of what you truly deserve. If someone's out there telling you, "Go do this work, go do this work," oh, here's ten percent, and I'm going to keep ninety. There's no way in hell that many people would be happy doing that. Nick Saban makes seven million dollars a year. And I know a lot of people are going to say, "Well, he's the best college coach possibly ever. He gets them to the to the NF a lot of players to the NFL, all that." But did y'all know that his strength coaches make six hundred thousand dollars a year? 600,000. Name me one profession where you can right now go make $600,000. And don't forget, he only trains football athletes. He's not training the volleyball, the basketball, all he's there for to train the football. So when football trains at five o'clock, whatever time they train, he trains them for an hour or two, and then he's done. And that's what he's getting paid to do. Jim Harbaugh, is taking a private jet to go train or to go recruit people that costs $10,000 every time he uses it. So to go somewhere that's $10,000 and back. Go somewhere else. And don't forget these coaches go on a lot of trips. So he is just throwing money basically out the window. And while these college athletes can't get paid and it's affecting predominantly the black athletes. And let's not also forget if you haven't read the article, the University of Georgia just paid ludicrous $65,000 to come perform One song before their spring game. One song, sixty-five thousand dollars, and they gave it to him to try to recruit people to come play for them. The NCAA needs to be abolished, and they need to come up with some system to make sure that the athletes have, if not if not equal pay, some type of stipend that helps them out truly, because. I know a lot of people who hear this might have money, might not. But if you have money, you're thinking, oh, I'm getting two to $5,000 every semester. That's 10 grand. That's more than I would make usually, and I get to play football. Well, let's not forget, a lot of these athletes come from broken homes, come from parents who can't afford to feed them when they're living with them. So they have to take that money and give it to their parents. So they're basically living, giving that to their parents, and they have nothing to live off of. I mean, before Shabazz Napier said something, they had a limited amount of meals they could get. I mean, that's crazy that... As society evolves and grows and, you know, gay marriage is becoming a little bit more understand understood, even though not many pla- not all places do, marijuana is starting to become legal and more and more people feel like it's more helpful than harmful and understand that it's really just been some dumb, you know, stigma it's had for a long time. We continue to leave the NCAA um, stability thing going on for years upon years and yet not many people are... Tr- making a big hubbub about this when it should be bigger than that did y'all know that NCAA takes in roughly 700 took took in 700 million dollars from the CBS and it will jump to 900 million by 2019 and 2024 but that's not all ESPN is paying 7.3 billion dollars over 12 years to televise the college football playoffs, which you know is something that they said they wouldn't do they didn't want to do But when dollar signs got thrown in front of them, they were quick to jump on it. The SEC made a record $455 million in 2014 and 15 off their networks. And out of 124 schools with major football and basketball, let me phrase that, just major football, brought in a combined $8.2 billion in revenue in 2014. And as we know, that has definitely increased since 2014. We know they've made more money and we know that... They are doing a lot more in sales. Now, I'm not here to say that I have the perfect rule of what should happen because I don't know. I mean, I've thought of things the way they could pay them. They could always give them, let them do the Olympic system. Let them make as much money as they want to. Let them get the sponsorship money. Let, you know, have a, you do school, we give you certain amount per year, per year, and it goes into a SAFE. And if you want it for that year, you can take it. If not, you can let the build up, get interest. And when you graduate, they give it to you. There's many ways they can save money and help these athletes who need the money and predominantly black athletes. Because if you ever go watch a football game, a basketball game, the ones who are playing the most are going to be black people. And I'm not saying that the NCA is racist or that they have intentions to hold black people back. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is their system is setting back black people, which it can do without being racist. They are holding back players from reaching their abilities when you don't know what they're going to do after college. I mean, let's think of this. Marcus Lattimore was the best running back in college football. Tore his ACL, messed his knee up, came back, and before he was in, I think a game or two before he was done, messed his knee up, got drafted, but it was basically a sympathetic draft played a cup um didn't never play the game and he's done and that happens all the time and y'all are thinking well he still got to have the fame and this that and the third would y'all rather have fame or would y'all rather have money because i last time i've checked fame doesn't pay the bills fame doesn't make you not have to worry about bills and worry about how you're you're gonna feed your mom or who doesn't have her husband's dead or in jail or she has to feed your brothers and sisters i mean there's so much that goes into this and it affects the predominant black athletes more than affects the predominantly white athletes. And the reason is because black athletes, when they're playing sports, a lot of them see sports as this is the only way I can get out. Football or basketball or baseball, whatever sport they're playing, this is how I'm going to get up out the hood. This is how I'm going to feed my family. You know, I see that Kobe Bryant's making $25 million a year. I have to get to that point so I can make money so that my family doesn't have to worry again. They don't have to worry about where's our next meal coming. I have to get that. So when they go to college football or basketball, they listen to these rules that they know are wrong or doing things that they shouldn't do. And then they just basically tuck their tail and just say, yes, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, no, sir. Just so they can listen to these coaches scream at them, make them do stuff that not the average person would do just so they can hopefully feed their family. And let's not forget, these college coaches, Not have so many different streams of money coming in. You have your salary. Nick Saban had his house paid for by the boosters. You have the revenue or um, the gear you're wearing, the Nike gear, the stuff that you're wearing to promote them. You have camps you can hold. You have signing sessions. I mean, they have so many different avenues of money coming in that it's not even funny. You can go get hired and then get fired in a year and and then you have those three years left in your contract. They got to pay you that. But yet, yet a college basketball player or football wants to transfer, they can tell you you can't transfer there because we don't want you to. I mean, this is so crooked. I could go on this about this for hours upon hours, but I just hope that this that y'all truly listen to what I say and go read this article. It's a long read, but trust me, it is worth it whether you think that the NCAA should pay players or if you don't. I mean, it will open up your eyes and make you truly think of, is this system truly fair for college athletes and predominantly black athletes, because it truly is not, and there needs to be something done, and there's something needs to be changed about it. Once again, the name of the article is Four Years a Student Athlete The Racial Injustice of Big Time College Sports by Patrick Ruby. And that is all for Raw and Uncut podcast. As we finish the session, I'm recording this on a Wednesday or a Thursday, I mean. I just like to say, I heard the tragic news of uh, Prince dying. I'm truly sad about this. I mean, that guy was what my dad pretty much raised me on. I mean, I listened to Purple Rain throughout my whole life. As I got older, I realized how much of a genius he was and truly a legend. I mean, me growing up, my favorite artist was Michael Jackson. So when he died, I mean, that truly crushed me. I remember being crushed for that whole day and pretty much that week because that's how much Michael Jackson meant to me. And Prince doesn't have that same level effect on me, but he's close just because he's what my dad raised me on i remember him talking about him and talking about his concerts and how much he just loved his music so that's just sad to see an icon go at such a young age and i would just like to say r.i.p to prince and i wish you the best in the next life peace y'all until next week